Hello, people. Welcome to Techno Social. If you like what we're doing, then please consider liking us on YouTube and on your podcast provider, sharing our content round, and generally telling people about it. And maybe even consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash techno social. Welcome, Carl. Hey, guys. So, yeah, me and Carl, um, this is the first time we're actually recording a conversation, but we had previous conversations where we launched deep into basically the, uh, the connections between what I've called ontological design, what Carl has called context engineering or Umwelt engineering. Um, whole point being that it is possible today using technology to manipulate the environment that people perceive with their senses and therefore achieve a great dimension of power over lived experience. Is that right, Carl? Is that yeah. how you characterize it? Yeah, no, absolutely. I was very, um, very pleased to see you uh, talking about ontological design and um, you turned me on to that term. And I, and I always find it interesting when, when you, you know, you come up with stuff and you come up with frameworks to help your own thinking and then you, you discover other people doing exactly that in different, in different ways. But yeah, I mean, my history is actually as an art historian and then I, um, I, I did a second master's in computer science and then I did architecture for seven years. And I think all of those subjects had an element of, um, you know, sort of various shifts in my perspective and my perception and I, I I found that doing a lot of 3D modeling affected my the way I saw the world a lot and I, and I started to program my dreams and I started to you know I was re reconstructing ancient buildings around the world and I um, I found that uh, because I was working on these large structures I could sort of see further down the road as a driver you know I was actually uh, in, improving my peripheral vision even though I was still sort of immersed in a, in a screen, I was, I was actually having larger effects on my perception. And I suppose that was like the, the touch point for understanding that, you know, you can program your, your dreams, therefore you can program pretty much anything else. And, and I think that I'm very much interested in reality testing and, uh, and actually creating consciousness or creating unique, um, unique forms of consciousness and actually trying to experience things that have not been experienced before. So you've made yourself kind of the guinea pig of your own reality constructions. I know that you're also interested in psychedelics. You've mentioned dreams. Uh, we've also spoke about storytelling. How does that all fit in? Like for example, with the dream programming? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? I, I think that I'm, always looking uh, to, to break out of the of the content bubble and uh, you know, I'm, I'm completely swamped like everyone else is with information and I'm always looking for ways to break out of the thinker and, and into the observer of the thinker and to uh, to be much more um, aligned with um, context with the ability to make context over, over content and I, and I think that's where we're headed I think we're headed to a context economy um, because uh, you know everyone's everyone's swamped and everyone wants escapes and um, I think you know if you meditate a lot then you're then you're entering context if you're like um, lucid dreaming then you're entering context you're creating context for yourself and I think you know it's a, it's a skill and it's um, you you know you become a, you can become a master at it and i'm really interested in say for instance people that practice you know i know friends that do qigong and tai chi in a lucid dream state and mm -hmm. uh, and you know apparently it, to them it's four times more effective to do it in a dream than in in reality because you're having to apply the contextual factors you're having to apply gravity you're having to build the environment 
as well as do the action. So for me, that's, uh, that's, you know, in terms of neural networks, what that, what that's doing to your brain is, is far more, it's far more interesting than, uh, than just everyday action. And, I, and, you know, I know people that go into dream, dream states and they all, they all experience, you know, a year in somebody else's body and, and live, live day in, day out within that one dream. And then they wake up and it's just been one night. And then, you know, and, and what's going on, you know, are we building neural networks in that, in that one year dream? You know, I mean, what, you know, I'm very interested in how we can uh, ramp up our, um, the building of our own brains. It feels like you're quite the mystic, mystic. Uh, Owen will have a couple of questions on that in a little bit. I just wanted to point out that I was noticing that you're rocking back and forth. Yeah. It reminds well, me of in the rocking chair so it looks a bit disturbing for the channel reason being whenever i'm hearing uh out of interest uh rabbis talk about kabbalah yeah versus something that happens and why because it's a meditation of mind body and soul maybe the dream state being invoked at the, at the precise moment um very priestly <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm driven by the transformational experiences that I've been through, especially the ones that haven't depended on any sort of psychedelic or substance uh, intervention, and the things that are gifted to me um, without warning. And I think those are interventions, you know, whether I would not pr propose to say from, from what source, but um, I use those as, um, as, my, as my fuel and as my... Uh, as my way of structuring reality. It feels to me like one of the things that humans have done and seem to have always done as far as we know is develop methodologies and technologies and te that word using a very broad sense for accessing that beyond that mm. altered context, that altered state, whether that is plant medicines or meditations, yogas, music even i think music is as far as we understand one of the very early ones and taking a look through the website that you guys have now i was getting the sense that this is the lineage within very much within which we're working right it's it's i'm almost i'm maybe you disagree with this, but I'm always tempted to say like what you're doing is not necessarily anything new you're just using new tools to do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean um yeah i presume you're talking about the cyberdelics mm. society yeah i mean absolutely yeah yeah and uh, i was listening to you guys talking about ontological design in the previous podcast and absolutely i mean that that's this is this is you know you know it's cyber shamanism if you like um but what I think we now have the potential to do, and I think that um, a lot of the, you know, if you look at all the different ways we can alter consciousness, uh, I mean, altered states of consciousness for me is just the stepping stone to altered traits of consciousness. And how do we create persistence? How do we go step beyond the gimmicks of like this constant chasing your tail of wanting a peak experience? And then, you know, pretending to integrate that and then be like, I need, I need the next one, like uh, the typical junkie attitude. And, I, and I, I really am very interested in, you know, how do we move away and, and how do we you know, look at, you know, I keep talking about double consciousness and this ability to, whether it's a lucid dream state where you're like, you know, you're in the, in the, in the conscious mind, but in the, the, the astral for a better word at the same time. Um, whether you're like in a hypnopompic or a hypnagogic state, you know, this is a double consciousness. Whether you're in a non-dual state, this is, you know, this is, you know, arguably the, the peak or the, the ultimate altered state of consciousness. But what I'm really interested in is what Eric Davis talks about when he says that actually the non-dual state and this sensation of all is one, um, it kind of, is a contradiction because it it, um, it disregards the other and it and it actually you know the pluralism and the pluralistic way of thinking 
that that what is outside of existence you know where i keep thinking about um, what, you know we're in we're in a form of existence where we're in where the consciousness is creating matter where the consciousness is um fundamental um or whether consciousness is a product of the brain i think you know what is outside of consciousness what is producing consciousness you know and what is the other what is beyond the white room of the 5-MeO DMT state? You know, when you when you experience that state and you you absolutely have this felt embodied experience of being everything and becoming light itself. You know, it's kind of a rude thing to say. Well, what's beyond that? But that's where my, I'm constantly pushing myself to constantly say, you know, I'm I'm trying to have, like you say, this is nothing new, but I'm trying to find the new in that sense. What, what comes to mind here was the so in one of our previous conversations, uh, Carl, I'm connecting to something they said now. We were talking about chasing peak experiences, mm. but then going back to work on Monday morning and how this all fits within the rat race of capitalists, modernists, time, and all of those constraints. And we were connecting that to these altered states where you talk about another set of rules some authors call it eternal time going outside of the time of progress and evolution and tapping into a time that is ruled by another a whole other set of assumptions a whole set, another set of rules um, and it feels to me like um that's a very priestly function it's a function that as time moves on, it gets institutionalized in churches and practices, etc., to be the guardian of the doorway to that eternal time. Mm. Requires a set of keys, which naturally we try to reverse engineer, we try to explore in this age of techno shamanism, technomancy. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask you a little bit where does it get dangerous? As in, I'm going to get weird now, but Robert Ansel Wilson, which I'm sure you probably knew, no, he said that power is a war between rival gangs of sorcerers. So how do you, what's your take on something like that? What's your take on beyond access, uh, the monopoly and the associated things? Yeah, I mean, the dangers are, are multi multiplying. Um, with the multiplicity, you know, I think that the big danger of, uh, of context engineering is that we lose common ground. You know, we, we you know, I, I remember a time when we, we had three, four channels on the television and, you know, people would, would have a common, a common space, a common sort of narrative. And now everyone's in these, uh, in these, in these little bubbles. And I think if you're able to then change the way you perceive reality as the new content then you know your your common ground is gone and everyone's going to experience you know whether you're a racist and you're using mixed reality to turn everyone a certain color a certain shade or if you don't like men and you choose to delete them from your field of view um everyone will live in a different world and i and i think that reality itself is already scary enough for a lot of people um so the thought of being able to change reality at a core perceptual level is is going to be difficult to swallow for a lot of people and and, and yeah I, I think you know if we look at Neuralink from from Musk which he claims is, is a year away and in, in some sort of form whereas I think it's you know, certainly 15 years away uh, in real form um, you know I think the the psychedelic stuff is actually interesting because we want to democratize the psychedelic experience. We're not trying to replicate psychedelics. We're trying to enable people to create reliable altered states with technology, um, with, with the ability to, you know, explore consciousness without needing to lose control, which is obviously the, one of the defining factors of a psychedelic. Um, but the point is that you take the headset off. You know, if it's implanted in the brain, then you have, have no chance of, of removing that. And who's who owns the hardware, who owns the software? Um, but yeah, other examples, I suppose, 
you know, like the DMT extended experiment from Imperial, um, where we can potentially, um, you know, extend the DMT, the peak of the DMT state permanently, um, and use the um, the third dimension just as a as a base layer to launch into hyperspace. You know, leave the leave the third dimension behind. I think you know for whatever reason we're here to have a human experience, and um, you know, I'm all for, um, and my main thing is, you know, it's your birthright to explore your consciousness and to transform your consciousness and to create new types of consciousness, but within the realms of the, this, this, humans, this human condition. And, uh, you know, if we talk about transhumanism versus hyperhumanism I'm, in terms of the, the branch of posthumanism that is hyperhumanism, I think that what we have to really do is, is explore the untapped potential, the innate analog, if you like, potential that we have and use technology as a way of accessing that. So uh-huh. just use technology as a, as, as, a, as, a, as a form of catalyst to access your own, your own engines. For listeners, could you clarify that distinction between post-human and hyperhuman? Well, yeah, I mean, post hyperhumanism is a is a form of uh, of, of uh, hyperhumanism is a form of tra- posthumanism. Transhumanism is, you know, dependency, utter dependency on technology, um, like Neuralink. Um, you know, I've had a long um, long chat with old Ray Kurzweil about this, and and wrote a talk specifically to try and counter. The transhumanist argument and I, and, I, and it's all about obviously life extension um it's concerned with human being the, the, the sort of the top of the food chain and uh, and just you know exacerbating all the problems that we're already seeing and <coughs> humanism is much more concerned with the non-human uh, learning from the non-human and learning from something like the mycelium you know the, the mushroom which has survived five five mass extinctions whilst we're busy causing the sixth so how can we learn from something that's clearly more intelligent than us that has a larger consciousness than we do uh, even now um you know something that actually when is in abundance shares by default um you know i'm very you know hyperhumanism idea is that there's many types of self and um you know, there's many ways of, of adopting intelligence that is not fundamentally through through technology. It's it's about the innate, the analog. It's basically taking the best affordances of the analog, the best affordances of the digital, and then combining them to create this uh, this new this new state where we, we, like I said before, that we we understand our resources with limitations on this planet. And we respect that and we act in a more humble way where we're not wiping out you know, 60% of uh, every other species in 45 years. Mm. So here's something that I have voice to in a way, and I'm going to try to be explicit with it now uh, because I think it's, it's, it's precisely at the, at the crux of it. Um, there are, in my view, hidden and hidden assumptions that we carry with us and when we dive deeper into cyberspace we carry them with us and they are we are like fish unaware of the water in which they swim so are we with relation to those assumptions um for example the idea that democratization is good is a hundred years old but the idea that we are perhaps not the dominant entities within this planet is thousands of years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with time and with the uh, evolution of technology, so do these ways of thinking evolve, right? So the age of the printing press had certain theotechnologies or entheogenic properties. The age of digital has obviously their own specific ones, which is precisely what you're exploring. Nick Land, um, the genius Nick Land, he talks about something very similar to what you spoke about with the mycelium. Mm. Nick Land says that the egregores, which is a term that I'm, I'm sure you're 
aware of egregores, thought forms, these macrobes, right? These collective bund uh, bundles of human thought that grow larger than us and eventually have precedence over us and agency over us. They act like bacteria. They have bacteriological an analog properties. Um, and I find that very interesting that even now at this, at this time in history, when we're trying to build bridges to uh, higher dimensions in consciousness, uh, if we want to put it like that, that we do it in a way. We're riding a bicycle to the heavens, but our bicycle has two wheels and it has a way to sort of pedal and all that. And those hidden assumptions in our speech, and this is a very Foucauldian point, include things like destroying the planet is bad and democracy is good. I'm being the devil's advocate here, but I'm saying that those are assumptions that we operate with. And there's many others. There's, you know, in the new age community, there's a lot of theocratic um, impulses, you know, you name it, across the political spectrum. Um, what do you feel about that? Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the, the hidden assumptions of our thoughts and, and them being sort of our bicycles that we carry towards these other dimensions. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's, I mean, I'm very interested in, you know, I run this other thing called the London Experiment Psychonautics Club. And we had one guy talking about how to create your own torpors, you know, and, uh, you know, we know, Torpors are the, the units of the egregores, and um, and I think I mentioned this to you before. And one of my one of my colleagues was like, "Well, you, you can't publish that talk. I mean, it's far too dangerous to be." Um, uh, could I clarify what you mean by the talk pods and the egregores? The torpor is a, a thought form. Mm. A, thought, a thought form is something like you know you could you could say it's an imaginary friend, um, but it's something that you give your energy to. It's something that you. Um, you give your belief to and you you start to you know through your through your feeding it your belief uh you give it existence and and when it reaches a certain level it, it has its independence and it and it will uh, you know it's a thought form it's 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 something mm -hmm. that has um solidity in that sense an egregore is like a, a religion when there's a lot of people believing in the same thing and a lot of people giving that energy and then it uh, and it, it has it manifests um but yeah daniel you have to give me more on what you're asking because i'm still i'm still yeah okay uh, i'm gonna be trying to be as succinct as possible so we think with the tulpas that our current egregores give to us agriculture possibilitated the uh, emergence of a specific set of egregores right yeah. the new revolution we became sedentary and so we started to have different gods than before, different egregores, mm -hmm. gods of war, gods of the crops, gods of other things, of cities, of, of settled places. And we carried those tulpas with us. Mm -hmm. Then monotheism came. There's a loose analogy that I like to make when Freud writes Moses and monotheism. He's alluding to the connection between the emergence of the ego and of God, the Abrahamic monotheistic God. Is very interesting but I don't, I don't know if it's a point i wish to pursue but this just to signal that different egregores produce different tulpas and the tulpas of our time are interesting but also in the process of being recycled so my question to you is a little bit like as a as a person who's very much at the edge of exploring with your own tulpas the the outer edges Mm. Topas are like your bicycles. They're few technologies. They're they're what we ride into the beyond. They're the Merkaba if you want to get new agey. Yeah. And so my question is about that. It's about topa design. It's about reality design. Um, also of our own assumptions. Also of how we choose to think about these things. Because right now we use the discourses of academia, of the the age of the internet. You mentioned Eric Davis in virtual reality and all these things. Whereas 300 years ago, we might be in a completely different setting using a different vocabulary mm. Mm. to do the same things. This is why what, what we're doing is not necessarily new. It's mm. like uh, putting uh, the wine into new bottles, a new wine into new bottles. 
So to quote a very important man. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's, it's getting there. I think that if I think about um, Gebser and his like, uh, you know, moving from the perspectival to the aperspectival, mm. you know, this, this mutations of consciousness and then one houses the next within it. I'm very um, much, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm very driven by my, um, my transformational experiences and the fact that, you know, I have, you know, I've had a, a life review at 40 when, uh, when my life stopped going forwards and started, you know, started going in reverse. And I experienced my entire life in reverse, the entire 40 years in, in reverse. Um, and I was able to, you know, be in my current state of consciousness, but also in my state of consciousness going backwards. And um, so in a double consciousness, very, very, you know, very sort of very felt sense double consciousness. But then I realized mm. rapidly, I was able to go into anything else in the scene. And uh, the first thing I chose was um, a, a desk. I went into wood, I went into this wooden structure and became wood. So I was in three levels of consciousness. And, um, you know, and then I went into, I could go into other people and become them. And so, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I was able to, I went back two years in time when I, I was with a girl and she got pregnant. Um, and, uh, you know, she told me I'm pregnant, you know, the abortion's on Tuesday and puts the phone down. So I go, she was living in Berlin, I was in London. And, um, you know, I went and um, went over to Berlin and because I was in this life review I was able to go into her body and experience what it was like to be pregnant um, and I was also then I, I was thinking well I you know consciously thought oh, well, let's go into the womb and experience what it's like to be aborted you know and so um, you know I, I was in four I was in a quadruple a parallel this parallel state of consciousness so you know this this has made me question whether whether you know whether I, you know, if we talk about talking about thought forms and and those being the bicycles of which I'm riding, then I'm very like confused at like um, the, the the boundaries of these thought forms and and you know I don't I, I know that uh, a life review is a thought form in itself that, that these things have happened to many many people and arguably my 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 understanding of death is one now that you know you you experience in the death state whatever you've done to somebody as them and you at the same time i had free will and i was able to go into anyone else i had to lived it in order to access it but you know this is why i'm bringing up gebster and the aperspectival because this was my ultimate aperspectival experience where i was mm -hmm. literally able to um have field of view and, and now i realize my, in my life i'm actually driving the point of view um, in order to access the field of you in the death state. And I really do live my life like that now. I, I'm very careful about who I spend my time with because I'm like, I'm, you know, and, and I also like, you know, I'm, I'm also very conscious that whatever I do, it'll be known. You know, it's all known. There is no privacy. It's, this is just a fantasy. And, um, you know, I, I had free will. I was able to choose to go into certain people and, and experience what I'd like I had done to them as them but I think in the death state you don't have a choice and you, you do go it's the, it's the ultimate learning machine yeah uh, and you get the most out of it by going through it as many times as you need to in order to to, to learn as much as you can so yeah I, I'm not sure that's answering your question but I hope it's getting something no, it hits it hits it on the, the nail on the head like you, you're describing it the journey of a, of a pure psychonaut and, and I know that's not your perspective, but like, it's like me reading the doors of perception, listening to you. It's, uh, if, if I'm going to take it, take it to McLuhan's terms and, and a little bit what Owen usually very much uh, talks about, your perception was not discrete. It was gestalt. It was a rhizome, not a tree. It was not a thing. It was something else. So <laughs> what I want to ask to you given your experience and, 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 and this sort of unique way to navigate your own, the qualia of your own perception. Mm -hmm. What are your favorite 
and also being a guy who works with tech and with psychedelics, like what are your favorite magical tools or sigils? What are your favorite like anchors, mm. things like medallions, things that you use that are, are your own familiar to you to put around your schema yeah. or to orient yourself when, when you're perhaps in one of those states. Yeah. I mean, I suppose I'm, I've always been, um, yeah, sigils, sigils I've always uh, been fascinated by, but always, you know, I've always, a bit like the internet, I'm always trying to avoid using it if I can use my own faculties to get there. And the same with sigils, I've you know, been given sigils to charge. Um, for instance, my girlfriend uh, was four, four or five interviews into being a BBC presenter and really wanted the job. So she, she decided to make a sigil and, uh, and for some reason she went away for the weekend. She gave it to me to, to charge it. And, um, you know, I charged it a couple of times and uh, unfortunately for her, she didn't get the job, but I, um, I ended up doing nothing but presenting work and film work after that. So I, obviously the sigil, <laughs> the sigil did its work. And I know that they're incredibly powerful things. And I think there's always a price to pay for any sort of magic with a K. Um, you know, I think that the universe finds a way to, to, to make you pay for mm. shortcuts you, you make. And of course. I'm always, I'm always looking for the shortcuts and I'm always looking to see which ones are safe to, 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 to take. And um, yeah, I guess um, I'm, I'm obsessed with sound. You know, I've got like 10,000 yeah. records and I'm obsessed with you know the, the different you know brain entrainment and and the magic of that and putting yourself into specific states with specific frequencies and um you know even like singing bowls i've got a couple of tibetan singing bowls and one of my friends who gave them to me he was like you know i'm able to access the, the this liminal space just through the interacting with these things um and yeah i guess you know the, the the disassociatives for me are the are the big um, the big sort of tools for um, dissolving the the self and accessing everything else. So you know, I think my my tool set is very much um, a mixture of technology with like things like shakti mats. I don't know if you've ever stood on a shakti mat for any length of time. No. Shakti mat is a modern day bed of nails. Oh yeah, I've heard of those. Yeah, so highly recommend those things. Mm. If you combine, say, and I'm, this is why, you know, to answer your question, I'm interested in stacking stuff. Like Jamie Will is, uh, you know, looking at a lot. Um, you know, what, you know, if we, if we start with some breath work, start with a meditation to put you into the, into the context, you stand on the Shakti mat for like an hour, and uh, you know you're able to access uh, this holographic world that's uh, navigable with with your breath. And um, you know I think that these these realities look very much like virtual reality. They look extremely digital. Uh, these these realms are made of light. You know, and I, and, I, and I'm really obsessed with uh, you know they mentioned 5MeO DMT, which is like you becoming the light source. And when you look at ayahuasca or NNDMT, you see this holographic world out in front of you and it's all light coming out of it. It's made of light. And in the third dimension, we're in a space which is having light shone upon it. So what, what is going on with these different experiences of light in these different realms? And, uh, you know, I, th I think it's a mistake to say that these are different dimensions. They're just different ways of perceiving the same Mm. it's all in the same space mm, there's a couple of really interesting things that come to mind for me there the first kind of comes from the work of gregory bateson who was a proto systems thinker and cybernetics researcher and he is this uh this short essay where he lays out a really kind of interesting and I find quite convincing argument from a purely kind of rational materialist standpoint about 
the existence of a kind of global mind. And I'm not saying we need to go down the pure materialistic route, but it's interesting to explore what he does, where he's talking about the act of someone with an axe chopping down a tree. What happens? You swing the axe at the tree, takes a wedge out of the tree. You then draw the axe back, observe that wedge that's been taken out of it and adjust your swing concurrently for the next. So the, the, the next chunk that gets taken out, it's not just a random chunk, but it's a chunk that relates to that first chunk that was taken out. And if you were to think about the system that is processing this, this action and information transfer, it, it goes from the eye down through the nervous system to the hands, to the end of the axe, to the tree. And there's a loop that's going on there. The yeah. mental system is not just the flesh and body nervous system. It is that within which it is interacting. You take that as a very kind of local microcosmic example, but then you scale up and you say that everywhere there are mentally perceiving bodies and things that are being perceived by them, there is this constant interplay between all of these pieces. Which then gets me thinking about, uh, I think it's a kind of philosophical movement that I'm just beginning to, to, to touch on and study, which goes by the name of agential realism. I think Karen Barrett is one of the thinkers there, which she was a quantum physicist by training, I believe. And they are, again, trying to go transmaterialism or postmaterialism, as well as looking at getting beyond the the simplistic subject-object divide and saying what we get from quantum physics is that actually everything is interacting with everything else all the time. And that is the way that we should be approaching the world around us as well. Not in terms of we are perceiving subjects and those are objects and these are distinct things, but these are fields of intensity, of relating phenomenon to get into kind of Whiteheadian language. And this, as I said, that is what's coming up for me as you're talking about the use of sigils, this, the exploration of, of context, because I think once we open that door and begin to see ourselves not as a nervous system contained by skin, bone and flesh, but as some kind of interface with that which is beyond us, but even the language of beyond us is, is a comes from that split it's not beyond us it is all one thing with many parts the division is of the bicycle <laughs> you and your bicycles you like it um did you want to talk a little bit more about bicycles daniel while we're at, we're at the subject i mean oh and if you allow me to riff on what you just said absolutely because it was just fascinating um, do you know what that reminds me of? Uh, naturally, we were talking about this continuity, right? Of, of the post, of the post-human between subject and object, between context, perception, and reality. That's why sigils work because there is no difference between mind and matter. They're continuous. And one of the ways that we can sort of zoom in the lens and actually go and explain why that continuity exists and why magic is real is to go into like, the guys that I like, uh, Deleuze. Delanda. Delanda talks about the morphogenetic potential of materials. The, the classic example being with steel. Steel working evolved, and all of a sudden someone uh, put steel and gunpowder together and invented a barrel, and all of a sudden you have ballistics, and you have a rifle. And then when you have a rifle, you also are able to, a few years later, to make a cannon. When you make a cannon, you have to build smaller fortresses to defend against the cannon because all of a sudden war has changed. So what I've just described to you is kind of a genealogy of a machine based on the morphogenetic potential of the materials that compose that sort of lineage, right? Talking about steel and gunpowder, etc. So if you remove the constraint of time, the cannon already kind of existed when the steel was in the mountain and in the gunpowder. So there's the potential in the planet, which eventually, with the work of humans and worms and birds and animals, brings out that potential and makes it into reality, perhaps with lineages of technology that you know, end up in weaponry and all that stuff, right? 
Having said that, like the question that I'd like to ask you, um, Carl, is there any notable voice in your inner pantheon that you feel like highlighting right now? Um, good question. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, you know, on all of the, the, the sort of Nietzschean stuff and, and Wittgenstein as well, because I think, you know, the language games, um, the fact that language created an, a layer much like we're now doing with mixed reality um, is, you know, it's, 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 it goes back to Gebser as well with this, this, this move from the, the unperspectival to the perspectival to the, to the, the, the aperspectival. And, you know, if we look at cubism, for instance, <coughs> cubism, you know, is aperspectival because you, you, you contain, the context in the object you know your the walk around the object is contained within the the object so time is is contained there and it's like you know and as we're talking um you know the operating system becomes so broad it's like you everything will it can relate to everything else and i'm you know i'm very much interested in evolving the ways we can experience reality and um you know if i think about some of my you know more recent experiences with with you know unbelt hacking i had this incredible experience of um becoming i had it was a dream and i was i was i was detangling um, a ginormous bat from a from an alligator that was attached to this bat and and as i removed the alligator i, I managed to um to become the bat, and I was I was literally experiencing from from this this entirely new uh, sensorial system. So I, I guess for me it's you know how do we how do we you know because I always think of language as this great distancer, um, and and I'm I'm you know we talk if we talk about primitive the primitive pre Bible yes. stuff, you know it's not just it's not just going forward it's not an evolution it's it's all of this it. it's relate it's being able to to jump out of these these boxes and uh, let me let me press on that because that's beautiful what you're talking about um some shamans of some uh tribes in the amazon and then something similar is recounted by some 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 people from the zuni tribes Talk about a form of animism where, for example, the, I don't know if this is real or if it's legend, but the way that they discovered the correct aggregation or combination of herbs to make ayahuasca, where did they hear it? How did they find it? Because it's really hard to find and combine these specific herbs from all the herbs available in the forest. The answer is uh, the plants told us. Some sort of hunters from communities that have a more animistic bent to them say that, yeah, I become the jaguar, I become the deer that I am hunting. The Zuni elder talks to the cactus, and you do that. That's why you're, this is in the Western tradition of the occult, that's kind of like lycanthropy, like it's becoming a werewolf, it's becoming this and that. So like, the question that I wanted, that I want to ask you is like, what's your, what's your, what's your night, what, where, where are you hunting stuff out there? Like, where are you being led to? Where are the gods taking you, if you will? You know, the Egyptians said that it was Tot that gave them agriculture. So where are the gods getting to you now? I think, I think it's, um, I think where I'm being led is, is to a place um, beyond uh, any sort of um, reliable, um, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult. I, I think that every, every new day brings new opportunities to, to understand what, what, what I have the potential to do and what I can then, sh then therefore share. 
you know, and, and I, all, I, all I can do is create frameworks around the kinds of experiences that I'm, I'm having in order to see if other people are sharing these things and whether they can be shared. Um, and I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just a privilege to, to be alive and to, to have the, the opportunity to explore my consciousness when I know it's a privileged position um, a lot of the time um, and, and to have created a reality for myself where this is my main operating principle and my main, my main source of, of, of everything. And uh, I, I, you know, my, I don't know how it's happened really. I, 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 you know, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery to me that I'm, I'm, I'm able to do this on a, on a daily basis, but I guess, I guess what, um, what I'm very much looking forward to is, is, is really understanding um, you know, what, whether, whether you can actually look at, a, at a, the signature of the brain and say, you know, this is because I've got a friend that's working on this at the moment who, who's looking at, you know, the, the out of body experience signature, the, you know, the, the near death experience signature of the brain and, and to see whether we can reverse engineer that and say, you know, a lot of people are able to induce out of body experiences. Um, and and he you know and this guy's saying well I'll, I'll 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 be measuring your brain whilst you're doing it and then he will he will say well actually you might have think you might think you're having an out of body experience but you're not you're just um you're having you know not not you know you're having something happen to you but it's not actually you know the real thing so you know whether whether it's a question of having authentic experiences that then you can say this is the standard you know I, I think that you know he's he's looking at for instance um, what happens to people on DMT and um, he's you know we can now you know I've been in the in the experiments at Imperial where they're, they're giving you know they're, they're scanning my brain whilst I'm being injected with, with NNDMT and sure enough the, the brain signature is is one of dreams you know you, you look like you're in a dream state mm. so um you know whether whether that's the right route though i'm not sure i i think that it's great that imperial are doing those sorts of experiments it's great that um these things are being um accepted and but it's like we talked, Daniel, about the mystery schools of ancient Greece, that these things were only ever meant for the few. And the democratization of this stuff is not necessarily what we want to be doing. So, you know, you know, when I speak to people, one of my, one of my friends, Kichi Matsuda, who did a lot of the, the sort of early uh, sketches of what augmented reality may mean for society, uh, he, you know, he's warning me off this stuff. And I think that, you know, those initiates or those inner mysteries were, were sentenced to death if they shared this knowledge. So, but for me, my, you know, my, my, my first out-of-body experience at 27 um, resulted in a disembodied voice telling, telling me to tell everyone about that experience and to tell everyone that there is no death and that you're only, you're only, you only perceive that you're Carl you're only having the experience of being Carl for, for a thousand months, but that's not what you actually are or not the limit of what you are. So because I was given permission then to tell everybody, um, because normally these transformational experiences, you're, you know, in the sort of very, you're told not to tell anyone. You're told to keep them to yourself because otherwise it's, you're giving away something. But I think, you know, I, I feel as if, I'm, all, I'm, I'm constantly reminded that I'm, I'm on the right path, even if that does mean uh, being sacrificed at the end of it. Very cool. Carl, something I would like to, to open up and explore a little bit. I've found in my own life, working and exploring at this space, you know, the intersection of new philosophy and technology and indeed with altered states of consciousness. I wouldn't describe myself as a seasoned psychonaut or psychedelics user, but I have a solid few trips. 
one of the things that's become apparent to me is there's a real felt sense in my world of a desire to ground myself in something old and systematic and quite thorough, which has taken me to try, uh, trying to basically be a student of, of classical Hatha yoga and indeed Tantra as well. Um, trying to get as far away as I can from anything that feels too new agey in California, Kundalini sexy pictures on Instagram because well, my, my, my at least hope is that through connecting to something old and time tested and with lineage, it will then provide some kind of almost nest within which to be able to explore forwards without running the risk of blasting off too far or getting lost within personal storylines narcissistic projections about how i've touched the divine and thus i'm now a messenger come to to speak to all others which feels kind of like one of the things you were touching on just there about the fact that people can get persecuted i wonder if you have any thoughts or personal practices yourself that it's about kind of grounding and not blasting off too far Yeah, I guess um, you know I I do I do find that yeah the the usual things really just connecting to nature to making sure I do do some meditation to I mean recently during lockdown um, you know uh, incredibly sobering state facing your mortality um, and I think that you know for me writing a diary is incredibly grounding because i i'm constantly doing the perspectival thing i'm i'm using the the diary which i've written for 30 years to jump out of point of view and to to go into field of view and to see my progress and to see where i'm going and to to look at the pattern recognition of yeah actually i can see over the course of this year i've done this this and this and actually you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on, like I said before, on the, on the, on the path. Um, but it's difficult to, 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 you know, it's difficult to know where you're going. And I, and I, you know, I, I, I think that you, you just need to, to, to maintain the health of your body. And uh, I do that a lot with breath work recently. I mean, doing, you know, I'm amazed by three rounds of, of Wim Hof breathing, you know, it's not, it's not, James borrowed it, but I, I just think that's super, super grounding, doing your 30, 30 breaths times three, um, within like five minutes, you're, you know, you're, you're reaching this context, you're reaching that, that ability to jump out of the thinker and to turn down the volume of, of this constant brain chatter you're, you know, you're where you're constantly criticizing yourself and, and, and Huxley's right, you know, you need, you need to take regular holidays from the self and by any means necessary, I think is, is the key there. I think that whatever gets you away from this brain chatter. Um, and I think that we need reliable methods to do that. And I think, you know, we, we're, we're, we're struggling with attention we need we need to be able to get them quite rapidly i mean you mentioned kundalini as a way not to go but i do i do a bit of kundalini and um, uh, sorry i wasn't saying not the way to go but i'm just saying the way that uh, in some of the yoga scene i feel like there's a yeah. lot of it kind of it's like just kind of self-empowerment through things that are a very powerful feeling but uh, my worry is that for some for some users, it's kind of just a high. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I, and I, I think that, I mean, on Sunday, I did three different breath classes. And I was thinking, hang on a minute, like, uh, is, there, is there too much breathing? <laughs> <laughs> is there too much of this? Um, because you definitely, you can reach 5-MeO-like levels of, of uh, awareness and consciousness uh, through the breath. And I, I think that is so mind-blowing um and so empowering at the same time if, if you if you do it 
in a grounded way. And if you, and like you say, if you do it in moderation, I think the amazing thing about almost everything is that there's a tolerance to it. There's a bit that built in mechanism. You do something too often and, uh, and it won't work anymore. Oh yeah. It's fascinating. Like within the yoga tradition, within I, which I work and pranayama is the name for breath work within yoga. Mm. There's a real emphasis that a, you should only do the breath work after you've done a physical practice and a relaxation. So your mind is already in a calm state. Mm. B, you should do it with the guidance and I get, I don't know, permission is the word, but not with a teacher kind of around as well, precisely because it can be so powerful. Um, you know, I had a, a friend recently, I know did a load of breath work and then changed her Facebook name to a Sanskrit word for peace or something. And then she sent me a message and I was like, who the fuck are you? And she was like, yeah, I, I did loads of breath work and thought I was God and decided that I was going to make that. Identity. And I was like, oh. and she's like, yeah, I've got to wait 60 days to change it. So this shit does work right. But that also just, it shows you that that whole thing about coming down from it and wanting to be like, ah, and explode. Yeah. Go ahead. Were you going to say something, Tanya? No, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and this comes back to kind of work that Daniel and myself is very interested in. It's like, um, you know, when you're building a virtual reality experience, you've got to be aware that you need to have a certain understanding of physiology, of psychology, of, you know, perception, cognitive sciences, um, because you are building the context as well as the content. The brain thinks it's happening. Um, and you have a tremendously large responsibility over, over any art artist beforehand because you know you are replacing imagination with computer animation a lot of the time and i think that is super dangerous and uh, it's one of the powers of virtual reality but one of the, the big double-edged swords of it um and i think that you know just to give you one example um, one of my colleagues had put her friend through a, a near-death experience in a VR simulation, simulation of a near-death experience. And uh, the, this person had done a lot of work on themselves, like a lot of grounded, a lot of grounded work over a long period of time. And, and basically said that, that within that 20 minutes in that VR experience undid all of that work um, and was super damaged by it. Um, and was not prepared and the space was not held like it would be in a physical in a physical analog form um and that's because they were exploring the 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 death shadow and before the death shadow comes the the child shadow and then the ancestral shadow work and then the sexual shadow work and then finally once you've done all that you you explore the death the death shadow work and uh and and again it was that shortcut directly to death and that and the previous work hadn't necessarily been done or the person designing the VR experience hadn't done that previous work. Um, and I think that's a warning, you know, it's a huge responsibility. And I think that, you know, that comes back to the whole question of the, these inner mysteries and uh, the fact that in these inner mystery schools, you went through a death and a, re a rebirth experience and, uh, you know, there's a lot of power in dying and there's an art to dying well and um, mm. a lot of respect has to be given. That's so cool. Like you, you said dying well, <clears throat> all I could think about was the noble warrior um, mythologies that pepper the world and dying the good death, valiant, noble death, going to Valhalla, which is obviously an archetype that, that only exists uh, for, for blockbusters nowadays because of commodification. Now you said something very interesting when you were talking about Wim Hof breathwork and, and those breathing techniques. I remember reading them <clears throat> on, this, on this magazine by Alistair Crowley and he called it fanning the embers. I think I told you this. Something mm -hmm. like, like doing that quick breathing because it just gets you high effectively and then being high you plasticize perception and you do things with it. Now what's cool about Crowley, right? is that in the context of you know, a few magical orders and his own exploration with 
psychedelics and with all that stuff, he managed, he, he was also in a way a virtual reality designer or, uh, or a context engineer and also like a guy who ties himself on the back of rockets to go up, right? It was a story where he, he, he permanently damaged the guy by feeding him mescaline and fucking him in the ass in the desert for, <laughs> seriously. And, and I read this and I was like, this, this, is, this is crazy. And precisely to the point that, you know, these things, they require, um, it's, structure is good. Rockets are nice, but structure is good. And, and it, it, it comes down to, you know, the shaman goes, goes out of the village and, and finds something, but then brings it back and, and, and brings it down to, to Middle Earth, right? Yeah. To, to the middle dimension. And I feel like many of the techniques of, of perceptual manipulation that, you know, Crowley did with magic and psychedelics and all that were also done and then adopted by other magicians. Rock and roll you know, in broadcast society was nothing but a means of purveying transcendental experiences, rock and roll concert. Uh, think, of, think of obviously rock and roll, uh, the whole history. Um, and I think that that seeps down into digital and into VR, right? So all of these things from Crowley to rock and roll to digital, they're all means to translate for, for like digesting the hypostasis of the transcendental seeping down, right? And like when it falls down, the bricks into which it materializes, that's the exciting uh, part for me personally. Uh, and obviously for all of us, right? when I say bricks, those bricks can be practices, they can be rituals, they can be institutions, they can be combinations of technology, they can be music. More than the bricks is also the, the ability to, to lay them together and to build things. Yeah, 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 and, I, and absolutely, I think that it's a, it's a huge citizen science project. You know, I think the magic is in the combinations. Um, you know, we've got all these siloed disciplines that absolutely will grow exponentially if we combine them. Um, and you know, I think that we, if we look at, for instance, moist media from Roy Ascot, which is this combine combining the dryware with the wetware. So all the, all the people experimenting with VR whilst high, whilst taking different substances. Um, you know, there's a, there's a group on, on Reddit called Rift Into The Mind, which is basically, you know, an Oculus Rift uh, community that are taking different drugs with different VR experiences and um, they're reporting back what they're finding. And obviously they're finding that disassociatives are an incredibly powerful tool uh, in this moist media combination to to combine with VR because you number one you forget that you've taken a, a drug and number two you forget you've got you forget you've put a VR headset on so so these things um, are new sciences waiting to be opened and waiting and already are being explored because now we have the capacity to do that um, and I and I think yeah the, the stacking um, you know one of my new projects is uh, Holotechnica, where we, where we, from the Greek hollow, to combine into the whole and technica. So the techniques, combining the techniques together to create these, these effects, these, these augmentations of consciousness. We know we can hack consciousness, but why would we want to hack consciousness? What's the point? And uh, ultimately, what is, you know, what is beneficial? And uh, whether it's beneficial to society, beneficial to the individual, and what what does it mean to benefit? Mm. This is you know it's precisely. Do you know what keeps me up at night? Yeah, yeah. The fact that the word hollow means whole, but it, you could also use total. So mm. holistic and totalitarian, mm. basically the same word. Mm. So whenever we <clears throat> follow this almost this catological trend towards towards the front, away from Eden. Uh, feels like uh, there's, you know, the old tales do warn us about a reign of the Antichrist, if you will. And, 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 and honestly, I think that's, that's something that's quite scary about modernity and its progress, especially at this precise edge where you can, you know, these moist media explorers, these VR designers from Crowley to ourselves, 
we're touching the point where culture and cult are technologies. Mm-hmm. And you, you plug an AI onto that, that does A-B testing at scale, that selects people for appropriateness, and all of a sudden you have a very powerful force that might fucking split off from humans and, and indeed create a, a holistic world. <laughs> Guys, I'll jump in. I'm just mindful we've already gone 10 minutes over when we said we'd stop, Carl. We're just getting started, aren't we? I know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's up to you if you want to keep talking or you want to wrap it. Well, in the, in the, in the, in the sense that my girlfriend's going to murder me if I, don't, if I don't spend some time with her this evening. Um, but I would love to, yeah, I, mean, I could talk. I could, yeah, I, just, I do feel like we just got started. So uh, maybe we can have another one of these uh, sometime soon. Absolutely. Let's riff again on the cinema. That'd be great. Fuck yeah. It's been a pleasure, boys. It's been a pleasure having you. Pleasure's been ours. Thank you so much, Carl. Take it easy, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Hello, people, once again, and if you made it this far, well done. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you like what we're doing, then please consider supporting us on YouTube and on your podcast app, sharing the content round and talking to people about it. And also consider giving us a donation on patreon.com forward slash technosocial so we can keep growing the show. Ciao.